I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. G'day folks and welcome to Australian UFO Sightings official podcast. I'm your host Anthony Goodall and you're listening to Encounters Down Under. Here we invite guests on the show to tell us about their encounters with aliens and UFOs, where most of our episodes were streamed live from our Facebook page, which gave listeners the opportunity to ask questions to our guests regarding their encounter. If you have had an encounter and would like to be a guest on the show, please get in touch with us. You can send us a message through our Facebook page, Encounters Down Under, or send us an email at australianufosightings at outlook.com.au. Be sure to join us on Facebook and share with your friends and family to help us grow, and hopefully encourage others to come forward with their encounter. If you're an iTunes listener and a fan of the show, why not give us that five-star rating and review, and you could have your review featured on the podcast. But enough of that, let's get into what you've been waiting for. So kick back, relax with your favourite beverage, and enjoy the show. G'day folks and welcome to another episode of Encounters Down Under. On this episode I was invited on the night show with Anthony from the local Huon and Kingston FM radio station in Tasmania. Anthony hosts a show inviting people from all around Australia with knowledge and experiences regarding the paranormal, cryptid and UFO topic. I was fortunate enough to be invited to talk about my own personal experiences and discuss the podcast and what's happening around the world regarding UFOs in general. You are listening to Huon FM and this is the night time. My name's Anthony and as I mentioned earlier, tonight is going to be all about UFOs. Now, uh, joining me on the phone is Anthony Goodall from the Encounters Down Under podcast. He was a guest last week, but uh, I went over time with my first guest, and we only had about 20 minutes to talk, and uh, it was nowhere near enough time. So I'm glad to have him back on the program. Are you there, Anthony? Good mate. How you going? Especially this time. Yeah, mate. Good to have you back. Good to have you back. I'm just getting the levels right here. Now, let's do a quick recap um, for the people who weren't listening last week, you had a sighting yourself in about 2015, was it, or 2016? It was, about 2015, somewhere at the end of a New Year's time. So basically what happened was I was, because I operate in the mines area in Blackwater and uh, central Queensland there, um, I was in the truck at the time there, cruising the ramp. Uh, it was probably about 11 o'clock at night, uh, doing the night shifts there. And I seen two orange lights sort of just cruising across the sky 
um, from a, a westerly to south easterly sort of direction. And I'm thinking, what the buggery is that? You know, and jump on the two way there, try and talk to the other boys or the other people on the crew that night, not that night, and um, try to like get an idea, like see what their perspective is on the whole thing. And to me, like, they weren't going overly fast, but uh, to me, I immediately thought like it might have been two fighter jets flying side by side in a bit of formation right. and cruising along in that direction. But there was no navigation lights of a classic plane that you would see. Um, so all I'm just thinking is like, you know, I'm seeing the afterburners and. Whilst I wasn't doing anything phenomenal, uh, I just kept going the same direction and just watched it for about a good maybe five minutes whilst I was cruising along and kept my eye on it and just went over the horizon there. And it wasn't until later until I went in for a bit of smoke a bit of lunch that night. Um, you know, I was talking to the other crew members there and asked them the question, like, did you guys see these, these two little orange lights? And they're like, yeah, yeah, no, we saw them. They went straight to the top of us. And so, well, what was it, like two fighter jets or what's, what's the go there? Like, what the hell were they? And they said, no, they weren't fighter jets or anything. We have, we've got no idea. Because for one, they made no noise, and if they were fighter jets, you like undoubtedly you're going to hear them. Um, no worries at all, depending on the heights. And they weren't really that high either, um, so they got probably maybe like ten thousand feet, maybe a little bit more. And so, like being that high, you're definitely going to hear fighter jets over any sort of machinery work, really, because they're that bloody loud. So it sort of makes you wonder, like, what the hell did we see that night? Because it just created an absolute buzz that night. And the, were these lights flashing at all, or were they just like a constant light? Just a constant orange sort of light. Yeah, that's strange for an aeroplane. They normally have, obviously, uh, hazard lights on them all the time. Now, um, before this incident, you weren't really a UFO guy. Is that correct? Well, no, it's sort of like I was in the scene. Like I had a bit of an interest, you know. Um, you know, it's something that always spiked my curiosity of what is actually out there because, obviously, you go out every night, you see how many stars are out there. So, like, undoubtedly, like, the, my whole family sort of had the whole vibe. They're like, you know, we can't be the only ones around this universe, you know. Um, so the idea of something being out there was always a strong possibility in my family. And so sort of from there, I just got the curiosity, and it wasn't until um, I really had my that, that experience then that sort of really boosted my real interest in what was actually out there. Because obviously I heard stories of people's experiences there, seeing weird things in the sky or these objects doing some phenomenal things that defy our known capabilities. Um, you know, so it wasn't until I had my own experience that it really sort of lit the fire under my bum and get me going in the, in the whole topic. And from there, you started a podcast and created the Australian UFO Sightings page, is that right? Yeah, it was, yeah. So we've seen heaps of other pages there on Facebook there, but we wanted something like a bit more dedicated, a bit more secure for people uh, to sort of share their experiences. So uh, we created the, created the page first and um, dedicated to people to go and share their experiences there. We're in a bit of a safe environment because obviously the, the whole topic is taboo and, you know, People get classed as a crazy person, non-drugs, you know, lots of, lots of uh, stigma is still attached to it, you know, it's not really good. So we need to try and create something there to, you know, create a safe environment for people to share their experiences without the whole ridicule. And so we had that going for a few years there, and then, um, you know, I decided, like, I wanted to go and start talking to people directly, you know, and so I created the podcast there and started getting people on the show, talking about their experiences there, and had some absolutely amazing experiences there from people that joined the show there um, with some, like, absolutely amazing um, accounts really. Well, we'll definitely get into a bit of that later on. Uh, how how long has the Australian UFO sightings page been up for? Oh, geez, I think we started in 2017. So what's that? Um, six years. <laughs> six years. Yeah. yeah. And uh, how many cases do you reckon? Individual cases do you reckon have come through there? Oh, we've had hundreds. 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 Um, lot, but a lot of them would have been like uh, a lot of misidentifications. Um, so you always get the standard sort of like, you know, uh, you might get Venus as a mistaken uh, object. 
um, possibly some drones. You get the Starlink that keeps coming across every now and again from a fresh launch. We've you know, got a train of several, uh, about 60, 50, 60 odd satellites in a straight line following each other. Mm-hmm. Um, people get a bit confused with that one, think we're getting invaded by aliens, which is totally understandable if you don't know what you're looking at, you know. Um, it's something that sort of really blows your mind and wondering what the hell is that flying over. Um, even the ISS, the International Space Station flies over, people seeing that sort of thing. Or even just people taking a photo um, where the bright light source doing lens flares, following your camera lens, which is like a an artifact on your image there, so a bit of a grey or a bluish sort of tinge that will move around with your movement on the camera, if that makes sense. And um, a few, or you might get a few bugs. They sort of just cut across your camera there in that split second that you're going to take the photo, and because it's all blurred out and all sorts of stuff, people might think it's a UFO or something like just. There's a lot of things going to take into account, given perspectives and, you know, times and stuff like that. Just, there's a lot that's going to take into it before we go and claim things as a UFO. Yeah, that's the best approach to take, of course. Now, you did mention that there was, um, you kind of created these spaces for people to come forward without the ridicule. You're relative, a relatively young guy. Like, was there sort of that kind of stigma when you were growing up around UFOs, was there? For me personally, not really. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you might get a bit of a chuckle here and there from other people, but mostly, like, you, if the topic came up, uh, like, you know, I usually get these topics come up for around a dinner party or, um, <coughs> excuse me, or around a campfire, you know, there's a bit of a um, campfire story. And, I don't know, it, it, once that sort of starts to get going, you know, everyone else sort of seems to have their experience as well. Like, they've got their own experiences, and it sort of creates a bit of a, a good little conversation between the, the group that you're with, you know, and it doesn't it doesn't seem to have that sort of stigma attached to it then. Yeah, I find the same thing. I find when supernatural or paranormal topics come up, if you're if the mood's right, everyone's got a story, whether it's their own story or something that happened to uh, someone they know. It's a uh, it's it's more common than not to have an experience. I find. Yeah, exactly. And like, look, there's probably something that's attached to the whole um, UFO and paranormal aspect of the the topic. You know, there's. Um, going through a bit of research here, there's a bit of common, common ground between UFOs and paranormals and, you know, if you want to go down the cryptid side of things as well, there's something that's, <coughs> excuse me, um, it makes doesn't make sense as to what's going on, why some people are seeing these things and other people aren't, um, whether it's right place, right time, or there could be something, I don't know, with your, you know, some sort of abilities to be able to see these things, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think some people are more primed to it. I mean, I think I told you last week, I've been getting into the stargazing, just learning the constellations and stuff. And, um, yeah, just looking up the sky, at the night sky, a whole lot more. And I'm just seeing stuff. All, I mean, I'm not seeing UFOs, but I'm just seeing satellites just everywhere. And uh, But uh, anyway, look, we'll, I want to talk about the... It's the 26th anniversary of the Phoenix Light. So let's start there, and we'll just sort of make our way through a bunch of UFO cases. Are you familiar with the Phoenix Lights? Yep, I think um, everyone that's sort of interested in the whole topic would have some idea of the Phoenix Lights, at least. Right. Well, um, how old are you? Were you alive when that happened? Uh, yes, I was, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was I'm a... Te- not, I'm not that cold, I'm not that young either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was a teenager, and it was a big deal. I remember at the time, you know, X-Files was pretty much... had us all ready for the invasion anyway, and when the Phoenix Lights incident happened, it was a pretty spectacular thing. Now... I've just got some notes here. It happened on the 13th of March and uh, in 1997. Uh, witnesses described a majestic, gigantic craft. And when I say gigantic, I mean it. They, 
the, the descriptions don't vary too much. It was a V-shaped craft, and it was about a mile wide. That's what <laughs> thousands of people claim to have seen floating over the valley uh, in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, it was floating slowly, but would occasionally speed up at a ridiculous pace and just disappear. And it covered a distance of about, I think, three or 400 kilometres, which is kind of sort of like flying from Melbourne to, uh, to Hobart. Now, uh, people said it was blocking out areas of the sky. So some people only saw the lights, but other people actually saw... Some people described it as like a carpenter's square floating through the sky. And, uh, yeah, so let's set the scene. It's uh, 1997. The Halebop Comet. Are you familiar with this one? No, I can't say I do. Okay, so the Halebop Comet is a comet that just kind of came out of nowhere. I think in about 1995 it was discovered, and on this particular night it was going to be visible. It was a clear night in Arizona, so everybody was looking up to the sky to have a look at this comet. So it was one of those nights where you've, you've got thousands more people than you normally would have looking up at the sky. So that's how the night begins. And uh, so perfect conditions, no clouds. And then around about 8 o'clock, reports start flooding in. So uh, the police, the Air Force, there was a UFO reporting centre in America and um, radio stations. All of these places were just getting flooded with people saying they were seeing a gigantic craft in the air that was like a mile wide. And so the first one comes in at 8 o'clock and then at 8.15, the UFO reporting centre takes a call from a policeman reporting just what we've been talking about this gigantic craft and uh and from there just it, it went absolutely ballistic now i've got some audio here i want to play this is this is from a radio show on the night as the incident was happening i hope you can hear this so i'm just going to play this and then we'll get back to it wide on the internet this is coast coast am and it's a hot time in the old town tonight things are popping Peter Davenport, uh, who is at the Seattle UFO Reporting Center, has a lot to tell us about what's been going on this evening, this night, uh, perhaps even now, in the skies over Arizona and elsewhere. Peter Davenport at Seattle's UFO Reporting Center, a place that uh, gathers uh, reports from all of you on what's going on out there and what's going on out there tonight includes um, some rather strange occurrences in Arizona. Here is Peter Davenport. Peter. Good evening, Art. Hi. Hi. Uh, what in the world is going on? Well, I'm not sure myself, but it's been a very busy night in the uh, skies above Arizona tonight. Just about three hours ago, we started taking calls nose to tail from all over Arizona. The first call came in from a uh, retired police officer who lives in Paulden, uh, Arizona. Paulden. That's, I guess, about 150 or 200 miles no straight north of uh, Phoenix, okay. north of Prescott, Arizona. Right. He was out with his family driving. They saw a cluster of lights. It looked like four or five, maybe six of them in a large cluster. That was the first of what turned out to be many calls. Those objects were seen over Paulden a minute later. They were seen over Prescott, Arizona. A minute later. That's, uh, it's got to be at least 50, maybe more like 100 miles between Holden and Prescott, Arizona. Two or three minutes later, they were seen all over Phoenix, Arizona, over Glendale, over Tim Key, 
and literally the calls were coming in on top of each other. Listen, I can tell you it's true because I sat down here at the board just before the program began to answer a few calls, mm -hmm. and uh, the Arizona calls were frantic. Art, you should see what's going on down here. Yeah. So uh, what are people saying? Uh, what is the best description of these objects so far? Yeah, there have been multiple descriptions, but the people up in northern Arizona saw lights that were distinctly red. By the time they'd gotten down to Phoenix, they were white, the color of stars, bluish-white, people described. It is still not clear to me whether we're dealing with one extremely large object or whether, in point of fact, there were five objects. Uh, or another uh, observer reported that when one turned, they all turned together mm. as if by the same command. Now, I don't know if that's changing orientation of lights on a single large object or what. So there it is, Art Bell on Coast to Coast. Uh, could you hear that, Anthony? Yeah, good, mate, yep. Excellent. So that was a radio report that was happening as the event was unfolding. Gives you kind of an idea of the uh, excitement and the mood at the time. Um, and years later, Art Bell, the host of that radio station, was talking about that night and said there was literally hundreds of calls coming through uh, from frantic people all over the valley. So that's where, that's how the event began and uh it would be like a couple of months before the true scope of what happened sort of became obvious because obviously back then 1997 the internet is in its infancy no social media so it's just one of those stories that people are that's getting around town you know what i mean now um are you aware of the second event that took place over phoenix at about 10 p.m where they dropped the flares yeah, I have read something about that. That sort of makes it interesting on top of that. So it's like it sort of makes you wonder why they're dropping flares after a mass sighting just to, you know, either to try to continue like a bit of a pandemic or as like a test or something like that. It sort of makes you really curious on why they would do something like that. Absolutely. We'll get back to that in a second. I, you are right on the same tracks that I'm on with that one. Um, so to recap, at about 8 o'clock, you've got these sightings come in and they last about two hours and over a distance of about 400 kilometers and uh and then at about 10 p.m that night over phoenix arizona there's like a mountain range and seven gigantic orbs of light were seen by pretty much everyone because at this point apparently there was like a fever pitch in the area and everyone was calling their friends and saying hey, did you see the ufo so everybody's outside looking and then they all look to this mountain and there's these seven giant orbs kind of spread out a similar size to the, to this craft about a, a, um, a mile apart and uh lots of people caught this on video on their camcorders and there are videos available online on youtube and whatnot and uh now these are two very separate events and uh and like you say it's interesting that they would drop flares that night not only drop flares but drop flares that look similar to the craft that was sighted so my opinion is that some sort of craft was being tested and that the flare and pe either people weren't supposed to see it and the flares were dropped as a decoy so the army could say hey there it is that's what you, you saw flares everybody shut up or i've also got another theory that they've chose that night knowing that people would be looking up to the sky and uh just to see what the reaction would be. And again, use the flares to kind of throw everybody off and try and conflate the two events. So that's kind of how I see it. Now, um, 
the most important person in this story, I believe, is the governor at the time, Fife Symington. Now, he ridiculed the event. He held a press conference and uh, said that he'd caught the people responsible for the Phoenix Lights, and he brought out this alien guy dressed up as an alien in handcuffs. And, you know, everybody in the press had a good, good laugh about it, and that was kind of it. And everybody was really annoyed that uh, he didn't take it seriously because it was literally thousands of people saw this thing and it wasn't vague. To them it was it was extremely vivid and there was no mistaking what they saw. And then 10 years later, the governor came out and said that he was a witness. He actually saw not just the lights, but the craft. And uh, he described the mood at the time as hysterical and it said it was re reaching a fever pitch and he didn't know what to do and that's why he kind of tried to uh, lighten the mood a little bit but with the, uh, by arresting a, an alien and um, yeah, he said that he was making calls to the Air Force, the FAA, the National Guard and that nobody had an explanation as to what the first sighting was so, and uh, in 2007 he came out and uh, he moderated a UFO conference and he made this statement here, quote, During my second term as governor of Arizona, I saw something that defied logic and challenged my reality, end quote. And uh, other comments made at the conference when answering questions, he said that there was a massive pub pub public reaction and concern, something he'd never experienced, and uh, we've already gone over that. Um, and he goes on to say, quote, I'd now like to set the record straight. I never meant to ridicule anyone. My office did make inquiries as to the origin of the craft, but to this day they remain unanswered. I still do not I still do not know what it was. As a pilot and a former Air Force officer, I can definitively say that this craft did not resemble any man made object that I ever that I'd ever seen. End quote. And uh, Yeah, so that's the Phoenix Lights. Years later the the US Army came forward and said that it was the original v-shaped object was actually operation snowboard a uh, snowbird rather which was um they said it was five thunderbolt uh, a10 thunderbolt planes that were flying in a v formation which is ridiculous because a uh, uh, these airplanes are single single pilot single seat uh, craft they're quite small and it would be pretty hard to just to uh, mistake five small aircraft for a mile wide giant spaceship so i mean it's a wild story and uh one of my favorites one of my favorite uh, ufo sightings of all time and uh yeah do you have anything to add to that one anthony not really mate it's probably just going to be the, the biggest mass sighting known to our known age at this point you know it's uh, have something so broadly seen from thousands of people uh, that i think this blows everything out the window of what they're trying to cover up you know people are People are aware of what they saw. They understand that whatever they're trying to cover up was a lot of crap, basically. Um, but often those flares are trying to make it, try and uh, recreate the whole scenario, you know. And people aren't stupid, you know. And that's funny, but they, they think that everyone is stupid and they keep trying to cover these weird stories and trying to backtrack themselves of what they don't understand, you know. They're all afraid of what the the um, the world might do if they do re uh, do release some sort of credible evidence that there is something out that we don't know. I guess they, for example, aliens. We don't know mm -hmm. what they are. Um, but, you know, I think there's a 
perfect example of that um, back in 1997, you know, that people weren't really panicking. They didn't understand what it was, but they were still defensive on the fact that they tried to cover it up, you know. They, they, they wanted to be held. They wanted to be, like, believed in what they saw. They didn't want to be uh, acting like that, the claim like they're crazy people. Yeah, I mean... They, um, you know, military crafts. Yeah, I, I, look, I've I've listened to dozens of these people uh, giving their accounts, and they are all so sincere, and they just scoff at the idea that it was five planes in, flying in formation because what they all just everybody who got a good look at this thing said that they were just awestruck. It wasn't just oh that looks like something weird. It was like it it looked like a, an aircraft carrier flying through the sky. It was just beyond imagination and. Uh, yeah, so people were not happy with the the lack of investigation, and, um, and it, yeah, and it wasn't until ten years later that they got a little bit of vindication when the the governor came out and said that he actually saw it himself. Now, the the nineties were a, a a what do you call it? Giant black triangles were big in the nineties. Um, they were seen sort of all over America. You've got the Belgium night of the triangles, and the UK as well. Uh, a lot of triangle sightings. In Australia, how do we go for, for giant black triangles? Look, nothing really on the highlights of anything. There might have been like a few people who did see something strange, like a triangular cross, but nothing that really hit the media-wise. So like, there could be a few stories out there that um, that did get put out there. Um, I, I can't remember if there's any specific at this point. Not at least that in the 90s, but recently they've had some stories there where some people have seen some triangular crafts, that, but mostly hovering around. Uh, military bases as such so when people see something that's unusual they usually there seems to be some sort of common ground where they're seeing these things around military bases so whatever their interest there is uh, we're unsure whether there is a connection between the military and these crafts whether there's some sort of you know secret sort of communication going on that's just a speculation um, it's really hard to sort of get a grasp on what, what exactly has been seen when things haven't been reported in that nature because people are too afraid to sort of come out and talk about it, you know, because like, like you are saying, like, you know, all my May are there um, mocking everyone, handcuffing the alien, you know, and that's a, that's a stigma that's still attached to it to this day, but we're slowly getting away from it. But, of course, back in the 90s, everyone just caught claimed as a drug addict, crazy person, you don't know what you're talking about, you need to go into a, into a crazy nutty house, you know, <laughs> as sad as it seems, but, you know, people want to be held um, credible for what they're telling the stories, you know. Yeah, man, absolutely. Now, just a quick aside for that story, Kurt Russell, the actor, you know this guy, right? He sounds familiar. Kurt Russell, ah, big, big trouble in Little China. He was the the man back in the eighties, uh, an A-list uh, actor, married to uh, Goldie Hawn. So he he's come out uh, just recently in the last few years and said that he was actually the what do you call it, civilian pilot that called in the Phoenix Lights. He'd forgotten all about it. He was watching, he walked in, his wife was watching a UFO documentary and they were talking about the Phoenix Lights and he was like, huh, I kind of, that rings a bell. He went and checked his logbook and he was the guy, the first person, the first civil aviation guy to call in the lights and what he said, the craziest part about it was that if he hadn't seen his wife watching that documentary, he just would have forgot, like, forgotten all about it. He saw this giant craft and then just forgot about it. And I wanted to ask you, because I've heard this many times before, people have these crazy experiences. They see something inexplicable and then they just forget about it. And uh, they kind of remember it like a day later or a week later. Do you hear of this happening very much? 
it happens quite often. Um, it's amazing how something like you're saying, like something so exponentially, uh, such an exponential experience, you know, it's can be just gone from your memory. Um, where, you know, we're going down this path, I'm going down a bit of the wormhole here, but, you know, whether these beings or something have some sort of uh, interaction with you and they can wipe your memories, or because we don't understand it, you know, we're to like question, go, oh, yeah, it's kind of weird or cool, you know, a bit of a buzz. And then, you know, the buzz goes away and you don't think much more of it and it's just sort of forgotten over time. But then some people, um, you know, they'll hear of other people's experiences and then something jolts their memory, you know, and then they're like, oh, wow, okay, I remember having something, like, explaining something like, you know, say, for example, a triangle craft or some sort of saucer-shaped object that's seen something weird and like, yeah, I remember something like this now. I had something set back here. So it's something that's going on with it. Whether it's a, in, oh, I don't know how you explain, like you know, there's some sort of. Uh, I agree. It could be some sort of <laughs> some sort of psychological thing where it's just too much to comprehend, and your brain just yeah, pushes it to the like, side. Or it's, or it's been forced upon you from whatever these things are. You know, it's strange. Uh, why not? I mean, some UFO cases are so full on with what these craft are able to do then why, why can't they wipe your memory if they can do everything else that they're doing <laughs> wiping exactly. someone's memory uh, shouldn't be too difficult for them so yes yeah, so that's so we'll, we'll leave the phoenix lights there and let's get into some australian topics now this is one of the all-time great australian cases the westall ufo case 1966 i'm sure you're familiar with this one absolutely mate i think just about every australian would know about this one Right, so let's just let's just do the uh, broad strokes. 1966, uh, 200 students at the Westall High School see uh, three UFOs hovering above the oval. Right? Is that right? Yes. Yep. <laughs> um, I'm sort of doing this half by memory, and they were being buzzed by aircraft. These discs. And uh, yeah. Now, so I think this happened just before recess. So the kids that were outside seeing seeing these things come running into class saying there's ufos outside when recess breaks all the kids go out and they're all watching these things in the air and uh and a few of the more curious and one of these discs lands in a place called the grange which is like a, an area an area of bush trees and a bit of parkland and whatnot and a few of the uh students go to check it out and uh one of those students is uh, terry peck uh, and uh two there was she was one of three girls. Two girls got down there before her. When she got down there, one of the girls had passed out and the other one was hysterical. And uh, she watched this thing. It had landed on the ground and it was like a textbook straight out of a movie UFO, a silver disc sitting there on the ground. And she said there was sort of a little bit of a hum and a bit of heat coming off it. And at some point it sort of raised off the air about three or four metres, turned on its side and then just took off like a like a bullet which is uh this turning on the side and taking off like a bullet seems to be a very common maneuver of ufos i seem to be hearing of that a lot and uh so that's kind of that's kind of it i mean three ufos one of them lands a few students see it a handful of teachers see it one of the teachers the chemistry teacher she's got a camera and she's snapping photos of this of this event as it unfolds um, and then you've got this one student this is one of my favorite things it's kind of been debunked a little bit the student named tanya do you know who i'm talking about yep okay so 
the story goes that Tanya was absolutely hysterical. She was taken away in an ambulance and was never seen or heard from again. And her friend Jackie, uh, Jackie Argent, went to... She was good friends with Tanya and uh, she'd been to Tanya's house many times before. Tanya's, Tanya's parents were Yugoslavian and didn't speak English. And when she went to visit Tanya to see what happened to her, a woman who she'd never seen before, who spoke perfect English, answered the door and said that there was no Tanya. Tanya, There was no Tanya in the house. No Tanya had ever lived in the house. So that's, that's a kind of plot twist that's like straight out of a movie. Um, yeah. Also of interest on this day, about 20 minutes after this event happened, the army rocks up. Is that right? That's right, yep. So what have we got? We've got two or three trucks and apparently about 20 or 30 soldiers get out and they're just searching the, the Grange where this thing landed. And uh, apparently they've got uh, instruments that look like Geiger counters and metal detectors and whatnot. And a few of the kids um, are hiding behind trees and watching this all unfold. And some of those kids went back to the area about a week later and all the grass had been cut and where the UFO had landed, all the grass had been burnt. So that's worth noting as well. Um, and, yeah, so on the day that this happened, about two hours later, a general assembly was called and all of the kids were told that it was a special weather balloon and to stop being stupid, stop making up lies, and they weren't allowed to talk about it ever again and the ones who did got detention um some of the kids went on on to channel nine news and spoke about it and they got into a whole bunch of trouble and it was just forbidden you just weren't allowed to talk about it at this school so ufos broad daylight over high school 200 kids see it about six or seven teachers see it um one of the teachers takes photos and apparently one of the students reckons that they saw this chemistry teacher arguing arguing with one of these army guys who was basically wrestling the camera out of her hands and there's sort of no follow-up on that have you heard anything about the photos that she took were they ever did they ever surface no nothing ever surfaced from that unfortunately um everything was very well hidden and taken away um even any reports on the whole matter were either burnt or lost somewhere or you know, never to be seen again, at least, anyway. Um, so nothing on the whole Westall incident was ever recovered, well, there was as far as I'm aware. There was absolutely an investigation, because obviously uh, there was... The, the, the uniforms described to uh, army experts said that the only people who dressed like that back then were uh, US Air Force, which is interesting. And another interesting thing is that they arrived 20 minutes after the incident, which is... Um, I've heard this from many accounts that there was no deployable soldiers in the area that could have got there that quick so it just kind of it makes you think that obviously they they were tracking this thing is that fair to say yeah no absolutely Look, there's something that's going on behind the scenes there to the point like you're saying you know there's turn up out of nowhere um they had an absolute idea where these things were at the time so it sort of really does make you wonder what was going on and why is there no reports or anything on that nature yeah. heard of again you know it a lot of questions certainly does now your mate ross coulthard let's talk a little bit a bit about ross, ross coulthard because he has kind of uh shed a, shed some new light on this case um ross coulthard, coulthard I, I have trouble saying his name for some reason legitimate mainstream long-time australian journalist he's kind of ever since the 2017 uh 
Nimitz report came out, he's sort of been deep into the UFO uh, subject matter. What do you think about a guy like that getting into UFOs? Do you, is it a force for good or bad? Oh, look, I think it's absolutely fantastic that a uh, journalist is actually taking it seriously to go and try and investigate into the whole thing altogether because, as I was mentioning before, you know, the whole topic is taboo. And to go on and sort of risk your career to go and report this kind of topic is a massive risk and can do a lot of damage to your career. Um, so to actually have someone who's actually taking it seriously is in, in, in the media um, is held pretty in high regard to Australia for being a well-known reporter, you know, an award-winning at that. Um, it's absolutely fantastic to see someone taking on the role of uh, investigating these things. Yeah, I agree. Um, he has resources that most people don't. He has the backing of Channel 7 and all of their money and whatnot. And that, I guess, is why he was able to get uh, the teacher who was basically had the men in black show up at his house. So what happened was one of these teachers, the young science teacher, he was, I'm just trying to find his name, uh, Andrew Greenwood. He was a science teacher and uh, he saw the UFO along with all the students and um, he tried to report on it and about two weeks after the incident there was a knock on his door and there was a plainclothes person and then one senior Air Force official and they basically told him to shut up and if he kept trying to talk about it that they would just say that that they would have to make a report saying that he was drunk on the job and that he'd have to lose his job and now this guy for 55 years did not speak about the event he's only come forward i think two or three years ago when uh ross coulthard managed to get hold of him and got him onto his uh channel 7 show there so that was pretty amazing to hear i mean it's just literally like something out of a movie he just a completely credible person for 55 years just refused to talk about it and uh yeah he was going to lose it all he'd only just become a teacher and they just said hey man we'll just say that you were drunk on the job that, that's wild but the other thing that ross managed to do was find tanya and uh yeah. unfortunately tanya she doesn't really talk about uh the, the ambulance ride or dis disappearing off the face of the earth she just said that she got sat down in a I think the principal's office with a couple of plainclothes people and they just told her that it was a, a fancy weather balloon and she wasn't allowed to talk about it. Uh, do you have anything to add to that? I'm sort of blanking on what she said exactly. Yeah, no, that's pretty well right. Um, she wasn't really too clear on what happened exactly, but um, it sort of goes against the whole story that got told from, I think, um, uh, Tanya, I think it was... Uh, told us everyone the story of her like you know being hysterical and taken away i think i might have to write names wrong here but you know the whole story like you know the one uh, where the family changed you know we're to go and try and see a friend and, that, and you know, there's a totally different family living there now it's like it sort of goes against that whole story of the the recollection of the, the, what happened you know so it makes you wonder like is she telling the truth like i'm trying to go and try and say she's lying or whatnot but it, it, things just don't add up here whether she's trying to protect it or she can't talk about it or whatnot. It's just something to me just doesn't feel right there. Well, she didn't refute it, so they just didn't talk about it at all, which is interesting because I, I've, I think, to me, that's the one of the craziest parts of the story, to just <laughs> have one of these witnesses just vanish off the face of the earth and never, yeah. be, never be seen again. Um, so that's Westall. That's, uh, of course, one of Australia's most famous UFO cases, 1966. I just want to briefly mention... Another UFO case from the same year, 1966, which is the Tully Saucer Nests. Have you heard of this one? 
soy sauce? No, don't think so. I'll just I'll keep it brief then. So this happened in 1966 uh, near my dad's hometown of Tully, North Queensland. And this is the the very first uh, crop circle of the modern age. So thanks. I'm, I've got to turn my phone down. <laughs> um, so you, you've got in the early morning uh, a farmer named George Pedley driving his tractor past a lagoon and he heard what he described as a, a loud ear-piercing uh hissing sound and he thought it was he, he had a flat tire so he pulled over to fix it and then he said he saw a UFO sort of rise up out of the gloom uh, out of the gloom out of the lagoon and then vanish off in a puff of blue vapor he investigated the lagoon and he found a giant uh, swirling clockwise uh, yeah a classic crop circle just a, just a circle no no crazy patterns or anything like that and this was a very famous case. My dad was a teenager at the time. He went out and saw the um, saw the the circle that was left in the thing. Now, what's interesting about this case? It made headlines around the world. And about ten years later, the uh, British crop circles started becoming a phenomenon. And uh, two of the main culprits of these of the hoaxes, anyway, uh, Doug Bower and Dave Chorley, they came forward and said that the Tully saucer nest was their inspiration so that one event kind of kicked off the whole modern day crop circle uh phenomenon do you get into the crop circle subject much at all or what not a lot i sort of try to avoid it because like you're saying there's a lot of hoaxes that try and do it and there's a lot of cgi ones out there now people doing a bit of artwork and trying to claim them as real crop circles but you don't really hear of like any genuine ones these days which is sort of strange in that nature. It's like, why was there such a uh, big thing on, you know, crop circles being created, but nothing much to recent days? Not that I'm aware of, anyway. Right, yeah. I mean, it seems to be mostly uh, centred around Britain, which just kind of tells you that people in Britain like making crop circles, I guess. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. But some of them are impressive. I mean, some of them, they just show up overnight. Uh, if they're done by people, they're done by hundreds of people because they're gigantic and intricate and... Uh, but then again, I guess with GPS technology, you can kind of draw anything, couldn't you? Well, yeah, but plus, like, the amount of work they've got to do to go and do a hope like that, too, like, which still brings along, like, the incredible nature of these crop circles. Like, are they hoaxes or not? Because the, the amount of work that goes into it, they've got to be precise. Mm -hmm. um, and from claims of the, you know, the, the, the genuine sort of crop circle is they're not snapped at the base. They're sort of bent over, like, as if heat sort of, got to them and it's sort of bent over because of the heat instead of, yeah, snapping at the base. So whether these guys are going out with some heat guns back in those days, I don't know, and trying to bend them over to go and get these effects, it sort of makes you wonder, but um, yeah, I don't know, it's, it's a real hard one to sort of get a grasp on with it's credible or not. Yeah, I think it is more prone to hoaxes than kind of any of the other UFO-related phenomena, that's for sure. Now, look, I want to talk about one more thing and then have a quick break for the uh, weather and sponsors. Tell me about Min Min lights. What, do you, what have you heard? Oh, Min Min's, wow. Um, <laughs> it's a tough one, too. Um, there's a lot of different cases there in regards to Min Min lights. Uh, the biggest thing is that you know people are driving along and seeing this light following them for a large amount of time, not moving, because obviously everyone knows like when you're cruising along, for long periods there, you know, you go past lights and they go past you at a certain point, but these lights are sitting with you the whole time and they don't move, they just sit there and, you know, until you sort of, like, really 
take notice of them, then they might sort of disappear. But then other times that they're following directly behind your car or they're, you know, they're, they're following you around a path or around your house. So, like, they're actually physically moving around and whatnot. It sort of, like, makes you wonder, like, uh, well, some people claim they have some sort of consciousness about them. And that's sort of, like, the hard part. Like, you now people are, like, being from a, going from a scientific sort of term, people think that, uh, they're like reflections from like you know swamp gas you know the common sort of uh, explanation for them you know but there is a probably a little bit of credibility to that maybe because like you know the gases from the ground and then you know lights from the horizons or your car or something like that but with people who are reporting min min lights and saying they have some sort of movement on their own or their own consciousness you know it sort of makes you wonder well, what are they because they're not some sort of swamp gas you know well like you say some of them could be definitely uh, related to a, a truck in the distance and weird refractions from uh, dust in the air and whatnot, but some of the cases are absolutely bizarre. And uh, now these kind of happen sort of in the outback a lot, like sort of where it's flat and dusty. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Yep, that's sort of been the, the most common ground for them. Yeah, I remember hearing about them heaps when I was a kid, but not so much anymore. You know, 1988, probably one of the most famous Min Min-related uh, cases would be the Knowles family. I'm sure you've heard of this one. Yep. So uh, let's have a look what my notes say. Uh, yeah, so the months in the months leading up to their incident, there had been a bunch of sightings of Min Min lights, a bunch of reports. Now, Faye Knowles and her three sons were driving their blue Ford Telstar towards uh, Mundrabilla on the air highway around 4, 5, sorry, 5.30 in the morning, they reckoned that they were buzzed by an orange blob and it chased them for miles and miles and at one point it picked their car up off the ground and uh, the car filled with like a weird kind of a smoke and at the time that this was happening, one of the sons described it felt like his brain was being sucked out and uh, the whole family said that they, when this was happening, they felt like they were dying and uh at one point, they blew a tyre, they pulled over the side of the road, they all got out of the car and ran away, and they reckoned that this orange blob was kind of... It looked like it was trying to find them. It was sort of floating around the car and going back and forth, like, in a search pattern, and then it kind of disappeared, so they come back, they change the tyre, then they take off, and they reckon they were doing 200 kilometres an hour in a Ford Telstar, which is kind of hard to believe, but that's what they say. Um... And yeah, and they just, they rocked into the police station just frantic. And have you ever watched these people give their testimony? Yes, I have, yeah. Yeah, the, what do you reckon? Look, they, they look pretty credible. Like, when they were sort of recollected, like, you sort of see that there is a bit of a genuine sort of emotion behind their explanations. So, whether they're really good actors or, you know, this thing actually really happened, you know, it's, um, it's sort of, you get on the fence with it because obviously it's hard to sort of, um, debunk their theory or their stories, you know, it, and their experience. So uh, it's, it's, I guess it's up to personal perspectives, really, on how you want to treat it. Well, they apparently a bunch of other people saw these lights that night, and some of them, some of them saw. Well, some witnesses say that they saw the light chasing their car, which is interesting. And um, whatever the case may be, it definitely wasn't some. If that actually happened, there was. It, it was uh, more than just a refraction of light from a, a distant truck. I think that's fair to say. But um, yeah, yeah I, I find their testimony, especially the the son, one of the sons with the long hair. He gave an interview the morning after, and he just he looks like he just saw something crazy, and he looks 
genuinely terrified. So he's a good actor if he just made that up out of um, out of thin air. And I haven't really right. haven't really heard much since then. Is there any follow? Has anyone ever tried to sort of get hold of those people to sort of follow up on it? Do you know? Of? I've sort of tried to track them down a little bit for myself, um, but also a bit hard to sort of get a hold of them. So I changed their names at the time there, but I just don't have the resources to try and really track them down well enough. But um, going on, continuing on the story though, like um, there's even reports where they had like a bit of strange residue over the car, um, like a powdery sort of oily sort of residue over the entire car from the scenario. And I've also got another case that's happened similar to that, which reports a similar thing over the car as well. So, um, which I feel sort of gives a bit more credibility to the story in that nature. But. Yeah, as you're saying, like, it's a crazy experience. You know, I don't believe it was a min min light. Um, from my my investigation into it, like, uh, there was only a truck that had seen it. Um, but at that same time, you know, they'd seen something hovering over the car, but they'd never got in touch with the truck driver to go and really sort of bring any accountability to the story. So, unfortunately, yeah, it's just the ones hard ones that we'll just never really get the real full truth over, or at least any sort of credible witnesses to it. Yeah, man, it's a wild one. One of the, definitely one of the best uh, Min Min Light stories, that's for sure. Look, I'm going to take a quick sponsor break. Do you mind hanging on the phone, and I'll, we'll come back in about probably five to seven minutes, and we'll keep talking UFOs. Absolutely. Fantastic. We are talking with Anthony Goodall from the Encounters Down Under podcast. You are listening to the Nighttime on Huon FM.
looking for somewhere local to take your partner for your anniversary or to celebrate your birthday or just don't want to cook tonight. Serving lunch and dinner seven days a week and an array of function rooms catering for groups of five or 150, the Commandy Hotel in Port Huon is a great local choice for all of your outing and function needs. The chef has designed a delicious menu centred around fresh local produce to whet any appetite. Start your weekend on Friday with happy hour, come in Sunday mornings for a mouth-watering brunch or end your weekend off with a Sunday session on the deck. Check the website or Facebook page for opening hours. A sponsor of Hewan and Kingston FM. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, for all your weekly local community news, from school events, council news or local sporting events, buy a copy of the Hewan News at a number of the local establishments. A sponsor of Hewan and Kingston FM. Even before coronavirus, it was hard to find work. Things like not having a car or just struggling to face the day can make it all seem too hard and now seems impossible. Rural Alive and Well, or RAW, can help. Resumes, job applications, accessing funding for training. RAW can help with the practical stuff and help you overcome the other stuff that life throws in the way. Call Rural Alive and Well on 62541092.
midnight. Listen to the Midnight Special with John and Big Dave. Some shows are about stories, while others are about the news. This show is all about the music on Hewan and Kingston FM. 95.3 and 98.5. I love these guys. Let the Midnight Special shine a light on me. For over 10 years, Rosalie Clifford and Graham Family Funerals have been a part of the Hewan Valley caring for families and friends when they need it most. Being a local, Rosalie knows how important it is that every wish and every detail is carried out perfectly with absolute care and compassion. It's about your family remembering the good times and celebrating life. Graham Family Funerals, Hewanville's only Tasmanian family-owned funeral directors. Sponsor of Hewan and Kingston FM. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, for all your weekly local community news from school events, council news or local sporting events, buy a copy of the Hewan News at a number of the local establishments, a sponsor of Hewan and Kingston FM. Guess where I'm going on Saturday the 25th of March? Hopefully to my house with the Garden Blue Show with Kate and Skip. What time does it start? Oh, 1pm till 3.30. Will there be pocket? Yes, you go up behind the Brookfield Shed and right up to the top in the paddock. What about food? Oh, there'll be sausage sizzle starting at 12 o'clock. I love sausages. Kate and Skip will be performing and supported by the thug. Ah, oh, yeah, they'll be doing a bit of light-hearted fun. So, tickets, where do we get them from? Get the tickets at Try Booking with CFNTK and if you can't 
can't do the try booking, yes, you can pay at the door, but let us know you're coming. And all proceeds go towards the upkeep of our wonderful station, Hewan and Kingston FM. Yes, you are listening to Hewan FM indeed. This is the night time. And on the phone with me, I have Anthony Goodall, the uh, host of the Encounters Down Under, Under podcast and also the, uh, what do you call it, the the Australian UFO Sightings Group, the founder of that. Is that correct, Anthony? That's right, mate, and host of the Encounters Down Under podcast. Yep, I mentioned that, uh, so you mustn't have heard me. Um, now, so <laughs> let's get into what you do. Let's, uh, you host a, well, you've got a, a Facebook page with over 30,000 members. Is that, is that right? Um, yeah, I haven't really checked the stats lately, but yeah, we've got a phenomenal amount of members on there, um, more than I sort of expected when we first created the group, so it's um, absolutely amazing. So you've you've heard hundreds of uh, individual cases come through that page and through your podcast, so let's talk about some of the more interesting ones, shall we? Absolutely. Right, so is there one, I mean, is there one case that you've uh, sort of stumbled across that you haven't heard anywhere else that's come to you that sort of keeps you up at night or just gives you the... Uh, the heebie-jeebies? Uh, look, there's probably a few of them there. It's more the ones that where people experience uh, being abducted. You know, that's um, <clears throat> a bit of a scary scenario in itself when you think of being abducted. Um, so although obviously, you know, most of these cases where people are reporting of being you know, in that scenario is where they've been asleep, they wake up, and, you know, they could be you know, having uh, beings standing over the end of their beds or they could be in some sort of room that's unfamiliar to them at the time and while some of them don't really have a recollection of the next day of these experiences there, they might have something that's a few years down the track or their time, something that might drop their memory and they go, I think I've been abducted and then, you know, these memories sort of start sweeping back and I think a lot of them, like, people sort of question, like, did it really happen? Was it a dream? And in itself, like, just even the thought of being abducted is scary enough. And the fact is, like, we don't have any control whether we get abducted or not. They're going to take you regardless. And I guess that's just, um, yeah, really scary on that sort of part. Of the people who get in contact, how many, what percentage would you say involve abductions? We don't get a lot of them. Um, but there's obviously the odd few that do come through. And... I guess when they sort of tell their story, that they're obviously usually, like I was saying, you know, they might see some beings or they're going to a strange room that's all sort of silverish, um, bit of strange lights and stuff like that. And it's sort of, it almost sounds crazy and it's hard to believe, but like, why deny them of their experience when they sort of feel it's a genuine experience? You know, we weren't there to go and sort of experience it with them, so we can't really deny the fact that these this could be happening to people. You know, there is a common... Uh, uh, some people are reoccurring these abductions, you know. It's not just a single time uh, in their lifetime, you know. There's, there's people are out there that are actually having multiple abductions. The people you speak to, do they... Are these abductions happening now or is it sort of stuff that happened a long time ago? It's sort of happening now. There are a few here, but probably not as much as what I feel back in... Uh, back in the like, 90s or 80s maybe even earlier um, they don't seem to be as frequent or they're just maybe not as coming out as much now which I'm not sure why there will be much of a difference to be honest um, well, well the 90s were, were the, was the decade of the grey aliens I mean back in the 90s everybody knows what the grey alien looks like it's synonymous It's the it is, if you're going to draw an alien you're going to draw the classic grey uh, 
people say they come from zeta reticula and they're pretty much whenever you hear an encounter uh, an abduction story it's usually involving the greys in one way or, or another is that what you're finding with your abduction cases grey aliens yeah, there's been most of the, probably the most common ones, yeah, the grey aliens. Um, and, but there also has been times where people report they've been abducted by the reptilians or insectoids, um, which is, uh, you know, it, there's always going to be multiple races of aliens out there. If they, well, that's if they are aliens, you know, they, they could be um, terrestrial, ultra-terrestrial, which is a term used as if they've, like, they've already been here before us, before, like, you know... Uh, the Earth goes through its multiple cycles throughout its lifetime. You know, we've got the Ice Age before all this sort of stuff. There's dinosaurs throughout that age. Um, depends on how deep you want to go into it. Well, but there could have been civilizations well before us. And these, what they're going to call them greys, reptilians, insectoids, or whatever, they could very well have been the civilizations before us. Well, I want to go very deep. So let's just say UFOs are absolute, well, UFOs are real, but let's just say that people are definitely being abducted let's not even question it let's say that that is definitely happening and that the greys are real the reptilians are real the insectoids are real where are they coming from what's because some people claim that they are in contact with these aliens and whatnot what have you heard yeah look there's also a lot of people that are claiming they are in contact with them they're sort of getting some sort of uh, a uh, mental sort of communication with them um trying to think of the body you know, like a psychic sort of connection with them mm-hmm. and <clears throat> I know it sounds very far-fetched but <clears throat> for what they're saying you know there's some things that are pretty well true like you know the classic sort of UFO grey um, not really so much on the reptilians in contact with them because so, apparently they sort of come across as very hostile but then there have been reports there where they haven't been hostile at other points there um, there hasn't been a lot on my end with regards to the insectoids, but um, it's it's sort of really hard to get across on whether these people really are communicating with them or not. That's that's the hard question. What 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 messages are they being given telepathically or or otherwise? Basically, they're trying to give them a bit of an idea. Like you know, the classic one is like we need to look after our planet, stop going to wars and all sorts of stuff. You know, look after each other. You know, we're going to try and find a higher vibration where, you know, we are all one. You know, we're just treating, yourself equal, treating each other equally. You know, love is the key, you know, all sorts of stuff, trying to keep peace and harmony. Um, and that's pretty much basically the only thing there. But with regards to, like, the other abductions there, there's also been cases where people have been abducted to go and sort of create, like, a hybrid sort of race where it's a mix of grey alien or other species of alien with human genetics. Well, this is a common theme throughout abductions is the sexual component to it all where people, yeah, like you say, females are impregnated impregnated, or males have, you know, sperm extracted or whatnot. And people often claim that after their first abduction, they will be abducted like a month later and shown their baby and asked sometimes to, you know, hold the baby close as as sort of to bond with it so it can grow correctly or whatever. But that's not just a one-off. That happens. That seems to be a world a worldwide phenomenon, uh, with the abduction phenomenon. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing people need to understand. Like even though people have sort of been really skeptical on the whole term, you know, these things are happening worldwide. There's a common ground there worldwide. All these people aren't just doing for the sake of it, like you know, reporting their sightings or their experiences for the sake of it. Uh, there's too much commonality to it. You know, these people aren't making this stuff up. They're not all on social media trying to come up with some big ass prank. 
you know, sort of pull, pull a big prank on the aliens across the world. These things have been happening for decades now. And there's no social media, there's no ways of connections for these people to have these sort of interactions with each other to go and pull for a big prank like this. You know, what I'm trying to say is, like, these things are happening, they're, they're real. And people are experiencing these things. People need to understand it's not just all lies. Yeah, I I agree. Something something's going on. I, especially going back to the nineties, like it was the most common. Like there are literally tens of thousands of people who claim to have been abducted just in that decade alone. And it was sort of in that same period, cattle mutilations were off the charts. Do you get into the cattle mutilations at all? A little bit. I've, I've heard a few reports there, like. Um Going on them, it's sort of really hard to get a grasp on too, like because um, they always claim that there's no blood, that everything was all done in, in absolute precision. Uh, you know, no sort of forms of stress on the the animal at the time. You know, nothing of that nature to sort of say like you know that these people that are hunting them for fun games or chasing them down. They're like this on the spot done. They're like they're just mutilated. Yeah, and it it just sort of all seems to coalesce into the same sort of theme which is testing where the humans are being messed with and hybridized and the animals are being tested in, and having certain organs extracted and whatnot um and again with the cattle mutilations that's an interesting one because that has happened literally thousands of times where farmers come into their come across a you know 10 or 20 uh, cows that have just had their tongues taken out with no obvious signs of human interaction of any kind of interaction they're just they're just there with no tongue no blood no sign of a struggle um there's even cases where literally thousands of cattle have just gone missing overnight and some people say that they were just stolen but it's pretty impressive to steal uh i know of one case 1700 cattle uh, somewhere in america went missing in one night so that's sort of all again back in the 90s cattle mutilations alien abductions um, now, with the abduction cases you've heard, like, is there one story that really sticks out to you where there's some details of the craft and uh, the, the communication that was had with these beings? Yeah, I heard one guest on the show, Jane Pooley. She is, um, her story basically is, uh, starts from a young age. She's, I think she's 60-something now. She's in her 60s at least anyway. So from a young age, like she was dealing with these greys. Mm-hmm. Um, had a relationship growing up with them, you know, the interaction with them, and obviously they were getting some sort of, um, you know, like eggs or some sort of samples from her during the time, and she actually even eventually had a, has a family that's part of the hybrid sort of um, species, and apparently has a, a little bit of slight interaction, not as much these days apparently, but back in those days, though, she was like talking to them and you know, the constant abductions, Bit of interactions and like oh it sounds like very far fetched, but you know who can deny her the experiences that was she's like very comfortable to come forward with it you know it's something that's happened in her life and why question it? Now when you say that she had interactions with the her hybrid family, so was her hybrid family living on Earth as well or were they somewhere else? No, they got their ship apparently. Um, there was even times where they let her sort of control the miniature craft, so I suppose you like call them a bit of transport vehicles inside the ship. Uh, she also interact with other beings in there as well, um, getting shown around the ship as well from her memories. And, you know, it, to her, it was a pleasant experience. There was nothing really there that was sort of really 
scary from you know, from the classic sort of UFO abductions. And this was happening to her since she was a child. Yeah, right. right. And what sort of what was her description of the craft? Oh, I'm drawing the memory now. Um, I don't think she really gave much of a description of the craft itself, but obviously the classic saucer shape from memory. But um, inside it was like very bright and silverish from memory. I've really got to drop my memory on this one here. But it was very, um, it's basically like its own uh, civilization on the ship, you know, a full on city in encasing in, in this whole ship. And whatever it is located, I'm not 100% sure, but it's obviously somewhere nearby just outside of our reach of um, observations. Yeah, well, I mean, it makes sense to me. If we were going to ever travel into, do interstellar travel as humans, I think it would be like that movie Passengers where they basically have a city, uh, you know, in a spaceship, and uh, by the time you get to your destination, it's been 80-plus years, and they, you know, they have all the farms and whatnot on the ship itself. So, I mean, why not? If If this stuff's actually happening and these things are out there, then that... That sort of a, a setup makes perfect sense. Now, uh, did uh, Jane Pauley, did she say where these beings came from? Did they tell her? They, she sort of did, but she can't remember where exactly it was. Um, they were from a distant sort of constellation somewhere, but I can't remember what constellation it was, unfortunately. Well, everything you've heard about the greys, like if you just had to say, from what I've heard, this is where they come from. Where do you, where do you think? Well, it's one of the... Apparently, seventy different races of, or seventy plus different type of races of the greys. So mm-hmm. it's not any specific sort of one. And one, the, the common one is from the, like as you mentioned earlier, the, the Zeta reticular constellation. Um. So yeah, uh, that's probably the one of the most classic one, I suppose. But where the other ones are, I'm not 100 sure. Yeah, I mean, the greys. I mean, it's uh, they they seem to be. Dying, not dying off, but their, their activity seems to be a lot less than it was, say, 20 years ago. Now, um, what, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts. The, I listened to the one where the guy saw like a like a dog fight with some UFOs. Do you have any uh, any standout sort of cases that you that you've sort of come across that haven't been heard anywhere else that you can talk about? Yeah, look, the one you just mentioned then uh, was Phil Tyndale. That's probably my the highlight of my one. Um, also doing the podcast, you know, listen to their story. Like to me, that sort of just blows out everything that we sort of see. We're in no uh, interaction with UFOs. As um, I'll, I'll run through his story basically from what I can gather uh, from remember. So basically, um, Phil and his brother were located in the hills of Adelaide somewhere. I can't remember exactly where. But anyway, they're in a bit of a valley and they're up late at night. I think it might be like 10 p.m. something like. And as kids do, they you know stay up late and sort of muck around and whatnot. And they're looking inside, looking down into the valley, and they see this yellow craft sort of, yellow object sort of going down the hills um, and into, into the valley there. And they're sort of like going, what is that, you know? And they're observing for a while, and it's just slowly moving around. And then this red object comes out of nowhere and sort of starts interacting with the yellow object. Now, the way that he sort of described it was the yellow one was trying to get away, but the red one was sort of, Using like a what can be called like maybe like a, a retracted beam or something like that, something like classic Star Wars thing, you know, where they're getting pulled into the ship and it's sort of fighting against the force of the retracted beam as it's trying to like get away and the other one's pulling it in. And that's what it's sort of like. It's like, something in mid air, sort of like trying to get away. I know it sounds weird, but um, basically, yeah, eventually 
a bit of a dog fight on, like nothing like lasers or anything like that. Nature, it's just basically a, a cat and mouse chase, right. and this yellow one's trying to get away. Um, I can't quite remember how the end story happened. The yellow, I know the yellow object crashed into a tree because there was a report later on into the actual local newspaper somewhere saying that a farmer there had called the police because he heard a massive noise outside, went out to investigate what the noise was, and he looked up and seen in the tree there this yellow glowing sort of object that sort of looked like the hull of a boat, mm-hmm. and it was just glowing yellow, and he's freaked out, run back inside, called the police, and the police have turned up uh, however long later, and obviously no evidence of the craft being there, it's obviously disappeared between there because he didn't come back out, he was, he was scared, he wasn't going to go back out there. And but the next day they obviously had a look, and you could see clear evidence there was damage to the tree up high up in the tree. Like, this is like I think it was like a pine tree or something like. That. So it's about twenty odd meters up high, or if not more. And yeah, clear evidence damage to the tree, and nothing back in those days. I think it was about the eighties or maybe seventies. I can't quite remember what years happened. But um, obviously we got nothing of those capabilities back in those days that can go and be flying around night time to even do a damage to the height of that tree. So, yeah, it actually did get local news, and um, there's a newspaper article there somewhere, but, um, yeah, there's an absolute amazing story there, because you think um, when people see the UFOs, it's usually a quick little bit of a glimpse here and there, and it just zips off or, you know, doing something weird. But yet, uh, seeing two UFOs interact with each other, that, that, that to me, is um, mind-blowing, because it, it just perceives that there's something going on that we don't understand between two different races or, you know, the same race, but some sort of two different agendas happening, if that makes sense. Now, any kind of uh, army bases in the area? Not that I'm aware of. Right. Yeah, I mean, because when you, when you hear about stuff like that and it's somewhere close to, say, Area 51, you can kind of go, okay, there's maybe some sort of weird uh, craft is being uh, test, you know, tested and whatnot. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role 
like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Just quickly before we continue on, I had a bit of a brain fart here on the next question, confusing Pine Gap with one of my episodes with Annette's experience in x Now, do you know anything about Pine Gap? Pine Gap's interesting. Yeah, I think I have one of the interviews there with um, Anna in regards to her experience there around Pine Gap. I, I'm pretty unfamiliar. What it, Pine Gap is a, a top secret uh, joint US and Australian Air Force facility, is that correct, sort of? That's right, yeah. It's not so secret anymore, but um, it has been known for a little while. But yeah, obviously, it's been um, used as, yeah, as you're saying, like you, a combined uh, Australian US sort of military base there to radio communications area and for whatever other reasons. Well, I've seen videos on YouTube of people trying to get close, and uh, yeah, they get told off by some pretty serious people to not get anywhere near the place. So it, it is probably the closest thing to Area 51 that we've got in Australia. Um, but you, ha- you don't have any s- specific stories related to Pine Gap? No, I had one there with Anna um, where she sort of, you know, I think it was like, I'm bad on dates at the moment, and I think it was in the 90s as well. Mm-hmm. And because uh, she like, uh, grew up in the area there, and she's um, gone to the military base to go and catch up with friends there because obviously, um, you know, being local, you're going to get to know the military personnel. And she's gone to the base there, and after I think a bit of time there, they've uh, taken her home. And that's where they experienced this craft following them. And the way she sort of described it, I think it was diamond-shaped sort of object. And she's freaking out. And then the, the two guys that are the military personnel, they've gone, it's back. You know, they've seen this thing hovering around a few times over the previous nights. And so he was prepared. He's got um, his camera set up, ready to go, waiting for it. And they basically just—I think they just dropped her off and then um, chased after this thing from memory. And, and um, she's uh, had to go and get herself back home. But um, the next day, the the military um, uh, military police and all that sort of stuff brought her back in for questioning and. Uh, she was being interrogated and basically they were telling her you didn't see anything, you know, and she's like, no, I did see something. And they're like, no, you didn't. <laughs> so, this seems- um, yeah, it was a classic sort of, you know, you didn't see anything, you just keep, keep going. <laughs> it seems to be a common occurrence where people see something close to an army base and then, yeah, like it, like you say, they just get, get told off and to keep their mouth shut or something bad might happen or whatnot. Now, you have dealt you've listened to hundreds of different cases have you ever had somebody who works for the government contact you with something really juicy like a, a Bob Lazar type character oh I wish I'd hope for someone to come and talk <laughs> but unfortunately not um, I'm not I don't think I'm a high profile to go and sort of really <laughs> in regard to that right in contact well you never know fingers crossed I mean of the cases that come through like 
with your gut feeling, how many of them do you think are genuine? Whether or not they actually saw something uh, that was extraterrestrial or whatnot, just that they are generally telling you that they saw something strange. Oh, look, when they describe something that sort of defies our capabilities of today's technology, then that's, to me that they are seeing something genuine. Um, but everyone that I've sort of spoken to, uh, in particular on the podcast, you know, everyone seems genuine. Uh, but you can hear them when they explain their stories, like their emotions are still attached to it. Some people are still, like, still getting scared from recollecting the experience. And I have absolutely no reason to deny them of their encounter because it's just... Oh, no. <laughs> it's all genuine, you know. I have no reason to question. Well, some of these encounters, most of them are pretty benign. It's like what we were talking about before. Picked up, you know, picked up. You're in a spaceship. They stick you with a few needles, take some blood, and then you know, you're back in your bed. But some of them are absolutely terrifying. Uh, there's one. I, I, her name escapes me, but there's a, a famous Australian case where a, a woman, I think, it was back in the 80s, driving with her friend and their car stops and they're confronted by these three demonic red, classic red eye kind of like grey grey aliens but black with glowing red eyes smell like sulphur and uh, just a feeling of total dread just washed over them and she was kind of changed from the experience. Do you know the one I'm talking about? There's a book about yeah, it. Yeah, I think you might talking about Kelly Carhill. Right. Can you can you expand on that at all? Yeah, so Kelly Carhill, I think that was early 90s, uh, 92 or 93, and that was down in Victoria there around near Dandenong's from memory. And they were dri- uh, she was driving along with her husband, and she's seen this strange thing. Uh, she described it as like a, like a blimp-sized object. Mm-hmm. And so they pulled up alongside the road, and there was actually other people on the road as well, and they've actually seen it and pulled up a little bit further along. So this, this is the great part, because there's actually multiple witnesses. And... From memory, uh, she describes it as like, you know, they're observing this thing, like, see, they could see some beings walking around this strange craft. And next minute, these beings are right in front of her. And, like, within an instant, split second. And as he's mentioned, like, you know, plastic red eyes, um, dark beings, and whatnot. And after that, I don't think she really recalls much after that, but she, I think she describes it like she uh, had to be like missing time. Um, as well as the other people as well, and got back home and she was like, you know, feeling really unusual, feeling weird, and knows that she had like some sort of uh, markings on her, like triangular markings. So they've obviously inserted some needles or got some sort of extractions out of her. Um, you know, she, and then later on down the track, she was having really bad menstrual issues. Um, so you know, it's sort of one of the things like you know the classic. They're obviously taking some sort of sample from her. And, you know, just leaving her there. There's a lot of, a lot of criticism with Kelly Carhill. People weren't believing her. Um, but, you know, we're having multiple witnesses there. And they even came forward and claimed the same sort of story. They didn't have the same results as her at the end. They were having the markings and whatnot, as far as I'm aware. But the fact that they were there and they can um, verify the whole scenario, you know, it sort of gives a lot more credibility to what her, she experienced. Well, I remember seeing her being interviewed when I was a kid and it, it's one of the more terrifying interviews I've ever seen because if she's lying, she's doing a great job. And when she's describing the incident, she seems you can terrified, just absolutely terrified. The whole description uh, of these beings, these entities, is terrifying. And it kind of it it's almost like 
like a lot of these cases, a supernatural kind of experience. It's it's not straightforward where you see a craft, you see the thing is missing time. There's a strange feeling about it all. And when you have these specific aliens that have like a sulfuric kind of smell to them, that's when we start getting into uh, demons and, and the, the crossover with the supernatural demonic uh, beings because a lot of people believe that aliens are nothing more than biblical demons. Do you do you hear much of that? Yeah, you get that occasionally there, which is not hard to believe really when you think about it because like, these beings or these crafts, have been, they've been seen for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And whether they're like, well, depending on like their interaction over history, you know, whether they've been interacting with humans sort of helping us along with our technologies and whatnot, depends on how you want to perceive it. Um, you know, it sort of makes sense when you think of a, a religious sort of aspect behind it, sort of demonic or angelic. These things are coming from the sky, from the heavens above, or, you know, they are looking so unusual as demonic to be claimed as demons, you know, so it's, it's not hard to sort of perceive it as a religious sort of context. Are you religious yourself? No, not at all. Right. Now, after everything you've heard, you've listened to hundreds of stories, you've done about a hundred hours worth of podcasting and probably a whole bunch of guest appearances on other shows and whatnot. If you were, if you, if someone sat you down and said you have to just write exactly what you believe, given the information that you know, where do you stand on all of this? Where, where are they from? Are they aliens? Do they live in the earth? Uh, mechanically, what are these craft like? If you just we're put on the spot like that. What, what do you think? Oh, geez, I think I'm split in two ways here or multiple ways because it's, it's so hard to sort of get a grasp on what really could be a possibility. Um, that's the problem going down this wormhole, you know, there's so many different directions. Like you might be going down one path here and thinking, oh, yeah, that actually makes sense and it could be like the, the, the sort of breakthrough you're looking for. And then you find something and it just bends you over that way there and it's like, oh, all right, now this could be something more to it. And it's just round and round through different forks of the wormhole. Um, but to sort of really get a like, bit of a grasp on the whole thing, you know, it, it's it's sort of hard. You, you, to me, I'm sort of thinking they could be interdimensional, um, they're from a different dimensional realm, or they can bounce through different dimensions. Um, obviously, we're going to see in the 3D realm. Um, these guys could be like, you know, in the fourth or fifth realms or something like. You know, uh, that's why we can't perceive them at the best of times. Uh, they might be there one moment and disappear to another one, you know, that, that sort of concept. Or they could have been ultra-terrestrial where they're from an advanced civilization well before us, you know, and they had some sort of cataclysm and survived it. And they've obviously had that advance. They were able to sort of escape that cataclysm to go either out of space or, you know, underground or under the ocean. Uh, it can take you so many different ways. And what a I've got the right answer or not. It's, no, there you know, is. I don't think so. <laughs> there's no right answer, but do you, you don't have like if you just had to put your finger on one at all, or you just kind of you're just not not prepared to sort of uh, to make that kind of a claim. Look, I'm sort of more firm on the the um, the ultra terrestrial where a, a prior a previous civilization. You know, um, that sort of seems to make sense to me. Like you know, because the world's I don't know how many millions of years old mm-hmm. and when you think about it uh, human, our human civilization we're only what maybe 10,000 years old if not maybe more yep. um, you know what happened between that time where we were throwing sticks and stones to all of a sudden like what 300 years or 400 years going from you know making swords and bows and arrows to suddenly going through this technological boom 
So when you say ultra terrestrial, sorry, mate. Uh, when you say ultra terrestrial, you mean like a another uh, intelligent life form like us that evolved millions of years ago, th that have either gone away and come back or have never left. Is that kind of what you what you mean? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Right. So let's talk about the hollow Earth. I love this one. Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, why not? The Earth, we, how, I don't know how far we've gone down, maybe 20 kilometres or something like that. The, the centre of the Earth is a true unknown. And if, uh, if you've got a race, for example, if the human race survived another million years, the technology that we'd be dealing with in a million years' time would just be beyond our current comprehension. And we would be able to detect giant uh, asteroids, that we can't do anything about and we would have enough time to either leave the planet or get inside of it so to me that's not so f too far-fetched and you know i've heard lots of theories of this that that uh an alien species went into the center of the earth and by the time the earth was ready to to repopulate they had completely changed they'd become weak and uh, unable to sort of function on the surface and when they came up we were there, sort of much bigger and stronger, and uh, even with their technology, they just didn't have the numbers to, to take us out. So have you heard anything along those lines? Uh, not too much on that, but the possibility is all there, you know. It's um, whether they were down there or not uh, to come up, or they were advanced enough to go sort of create the spaceships to get out. But <clears throat> there's even been claims like, um, I think just recently there's a cave that's been discovered that goes deep into the Earth, and it's got its own vegetation, it's got its own atmosphere, its own sort of life down there, you know. So it's not as far-fetched as the sort of claim with the possibilities of, like, we, we can't, we haven't even discovered half the Earth, really, when we were look into it. Like, all the the terrain, you know, what's under the ocean, we haven't, we know more about space than we do the ocean, what's under there. Yep. So it's not as far-fetched as you really claim. No, I mean, I think it, when you get to the point where it's like these craft are real and it's, they're made by something then i think any anything's possible once that's true then anything where they come from yeah nothing's off the table and what i find personally is you know i grew up with the x-files i grew up um watching you know movies like et i was conditioned from the day i was born to accept the coming of the, the of some alien race you know what i mean uh, but I never, I rarely actually think about it in a realistic way. It's always kind of just fantastical. But whenever I do, it's it's a very rare moment where I sit there and go, okay, these craft are real. Someone's making them, something. Something's making them and they're doing these crazy things. Millions of people are seeing them all around the world. And when I actually come to that moment where it's true, I actually find it kind of terrifying <laughs> because if something's making it, who the hell are they? You know? Exactly. And before we um, continue, I'll just make mention, did you make mention of the, uh, the X-Files? The, uh, the Kelly Carhill text was actually the, um, uh, <coughs> inspired with the, uh, the X-Files episode there with the alien abduction one. Really? So, um, her text there was very inspired by that X-Files episode. Um, but, uh, I've lost where I've gone now. <laughs> In regards to, um, the possibilities, you know, it's, it's all out there, you know, it's very, very much possibility when you think about it because uh, when you think also like what I mentioned before like you know we're thousands of years old mm -hmm. and to suddenly also have this technology within 500 years to where we are today how do we get that out what were we doing 
prior to those thousands of years, it'd be like just throwing stones and rocks all the time. You know, and whether there was some sort of intervention with an alien race to sort of help us along to go and get to where we are today, like, you got to try and put that into perspective, like, well, a, l- a, lot of pe- a lot of people point to Roswell, the Roswell crash of 1947. Obviously, Absolutely. everyone knows about that. And uh, a lot of people say, just look at the technology we have now compared to 1947, and there seems to be a huge leap from that sort of late 40s through to the 80s kind of era. We just went from really basic sort of radio and whatnot to CD players and computers and everything else. And when you trace the history of a lot of these inventions, it sort of does sort of seem to come out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I think you've been listening to the podcast too much because I've got the same quote. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it does make you wonder, like, you know, yeah, like you're saying, you know, we've got microwaves, we've got compact discs, we've got microchips coming into the uh, computers. All from that moment, no, we just absolutely boomed. And at the moment, like, right now, we haven't really made any real sort of massive breakthrough in technology we're just uh, making things better um, but I think in the coming few years I think we're making a massive breakthrough in what I think we're calling quantum physics yeah absolutely which is yeah, supposed qu- to be qu- the next stage of our um, sort of technological age well quantum physics is an absolutely le- legitimate uh, what do you call it discipline in the physics world now it's kind of the the mainstream of physics uh, quantum mechanics and it makes interdimensional travel and everything we're talking about these things popping in and out of our dimension completely realistic it's not it's not fringe at all it's um it's taken over string theory as the main theory of what our reality is and uh and at the end of the day nobody can say like people can poo-poo this subject matter but nobody knows what's really going on what we see and smell and touch is is one percent of what's actually out there what our reality is made up of so that's why i love talking about this subject matter because it can't be proven either way so why not yeah. talk about it oh absolutely like you're saying like um tripping from unlocking the code there he's uh his common quote there is you know that one percent mm-hmm. you know that 99 percent there could be fake or you know it could be a Wolf from the history there, but that one percent is saying that it could be true. You know, work on that one percent. The possibilities are always there. Absolutely. Now, look, before I let you go, we've got ten minutes left on the show. Before and at ten o'clock, there's nothing I can do. It just <laughs> cuts off and does its own thing. I I am ashamed to say that I don't know. If someone asked me about the Nimitz uh, UFO case, I could give them the bullet points, but I'm really not too familiar with it. It's worth mentioning because it is the case that has kind of ushered in the new era of UFO, UAP law. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's sort of um, what really broke us out there was the um, the New York Times coming out with the the Nimitz case there, which is really interesting, having this um, object. Uh, this is a report from you know, uh, F-22 fighter pilots, mm-hmm. um, Brian Graves, I think his name was, uh, horrible names, <coughs> excuse me, you know, tracking down this this object um, which was on their radar as well which was doing phenomenal capabilities of, like that defies our capabilities uh, to the point of like you know going from like 40,000 feet to sea level like within a split second basically um, which was pretty much tracked over the last like several days and it wasn't until like a few days later I can't remember the exact time date I think it was around 2004 mm-hmm. from memory 
Yes. That they um, actually finally tracked this thing and they actually got footage of it. Um, I've got a bit of a bone to pick with that, but uh, to go on, like, you know, they, they were tracking this thing and it was defying anything that they could do. Like, they couldn't keep up with it. Like, for one second, like, they'll be having it, uh, following it along, and the next thing it zips along somewhere else and, you know, I could go on the story there. Um, but to go and sort of pick my bone out of it, the, the, the video evidence doesn't really give much credibility to the report that they gave. Right. Uh, being the fact that, you know, it's, it's from their, um, the camera on the, on the S22, and whilst the object they tracked was doing nothing phenomenal, it doesn't really give any credibility to the, the, the report, in a sense, you know, because it didn't do anything phenomenal. There's no real defined uh, definition to the object to say, that, like, it is an alien craft or anything of that nature. It's just an object so in the shape of a tic-tac cruising along the ocean there at a reasonable pace. Exactly. I mean, and if you don't understand how to read the instruments on the screen, then, yeah, it's literally just a, a grainy video that makes no sense. But what is most stunning about that whole event is, uh, I think Dave, David Fravor is the pilot who interacted with it. So... Oh, yeah, so probably, yep. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, no, you're right. Ryan Graves is, uh, I think his interaction was a few years later, but with similar objects. Yeah. But, I mean, this is the case, I guess it's nearly 20 years ago now, but um, you've got a, a Navy pilot who didn't just kind of see something out of the corner of his eye. He saw this tic-tac-shaped object. I think he said it was about 40 feet uh, long and probably 20 feet wide, hovering over the ocean, and the ocean underneath it was kind of uh, churning, like there was something under the water. And uh, this thing was just going zit, zit, like left, right, in completely like a, a video game, just stopping and starting. And uh, when he tried to engage with it, it kind of mirrored his movements. And after that interaction, he, he had a, uh, what do you call it, a, wherever he was going, his his home point rather, when he when he got there, the tic tac was kind of there waiting for him, as if it uh, it knew that he was where he was going. So yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, I've I've really got to brush up on that story because it's it's one of those stories. Like no matter how many times I sort of hear it, it's it's amazing, but it's still not that impressive. Like it's <laughs> when people talk about getting abducted and they're on the ship talking to grey aliens. To me, that paints a much uh, more vivid, vivid, vivid picture in my mind, but um, but it's weird when a pilot who's so qualified to talk about this sort of stuff just says, yeah, it was like a tic tac, it was flying around, it was eighty thousand feet down to twenty thousand feet in twenty seconds on their on their radar. They, yeah, something phenomenal, something that we can't do, at least. Yeah, absolutely. So that's just it's weird that that story is out there now, and uh, multiple pilots have corroborated it, and. Besides people who are already into the UFO kind of topic, it hasn't really... Like, if, if I asked my, uh, a bunch of my friends, I'd bet you half of them wouldn't even know anything about it, which is kind of crazy to me. Yeah, because it didn't get a lot of um, media attention. Like, it did have maybe, like, a day or something like where it was, like, you know, covering that sort of topic for the New York Times. Then after that, it just, it just went blank. And... Uh, you know, we was like the UFO community from my end, like we were waiting for this whole big uproar from, you know, the the whole the whole world basically going, oh wow, okay, these things are actually real. And I, was, I think it was like till 2017, I think, from, uh, not 2017, uh, 2018 or 2019, something like that, I think was when the actual US government came out. I, I can't quite remember when exactly it came out, but 
this is when the U.S. government, like, because they couldn't deny it anymore because it's obviously their military policy so admitting to these things. And U.S. government admitted to it, and, you know, no one really cared because I think it was around the COVID time there. The COVID was taking over the whole media, and no one really cared. And unfortunate. And also, it was they confirmed that the videos were real, but they couldn't yeah, confirm right. what was in the videos. So I think I spoke to you about this last week, where this subject matter, which has been, you know, popular my entire life, it always feels like something's just about to happen. But even when you get a report like the Nimitz report, at the mo- at, when you first hear it, it's like, holy crap, this is it. This is this is going to blow everything apart. But then it just kind of doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah, like, look, we've, we've been like, waiting for this big, massive breakthrough for everyone in the UFO community because, like, everyone wants to be held, like, felt their experiences as accountable, you know? They want to be believed for their experiences there by the US military admitting to these things. So, not everyone's, you know, crazy, you know? <laughs> that's, that's, to me, I feel that's, uh, that's where it should be, like, where everyone's credible. Um, so, unfortunately, yeah, um, we keep waiting for this breakthrough, but nothing happens on that nature. It just keeps getting shot down. I think the biggest problem is, too, though, when they do give these reports of these uh, military giving these strange ob- objects, their footage gives no credibility to it. And that's the frustrating part for me, is because, like, they've got the footage there, but nothing there that they'll give us that full description or the credible imagery. Like, you know, something that is amazing, that is unusual to us. You know, someone wants some sort of, like, little alien there waving at us in the camera in their little cockpit, you know? <laughs> something like that. Absolutely. With the tech, I mean, I, I do visual effects and I could make something that looks, you know, completely, and I have done, made, made UFO videos that look completely realistic. So we kind of need an Independence Day kind of situation where just a giant mothership hovers above a bunch, a, a city and millions of people see it. I think that's the only thing that's going to sort of make, take this uh, subject to the next level. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, look, Anthony Goodall, the... Uh, sorry, I haven't got it in front of me. The, the Encounters Done Down Under podcast and the Australian UFO Sightings uh, Facebook page with over 30,000 members. If you've got a story, get in contact with him uh, and, yeah, maybe you'll get on the podcast or at least post your accounts on the page. Mate, it's been a pleasure having... Thank you. You've, you've done the two hours with me. I really appreciate it and uh, you're a great guest and I'd, maybe in the future we'll do this again. What do you think? Mate, that'll be absolutely wonderful. I absolutely appreciate it, mate. It's um, been fantastic night and talking about this. I love talking about it. It's it's a, a massive wormhole, like I've been mentioning. You know, to go wherever can where wherever you want to go with it, basically, because there's just so much to cover. Absolutely. Well, next time we do UFOs, mate, I might get in contact with you. Thanks again. No worries, mate. All the best. I'll see you. Bye. And that will do it, folks, for this episode of Encounters Down Under. I hope you enjoyed the show, and remember, you can also get involved in the show by joining the Facebook page and getting in on the live streams. Also, please be sure to share with your friends and family to help us grow, and potentially find our next guest on the show. If you or you know someone who has had an encounter, please get in touch with me through our Facebook page via Messenger, or email at australianufosightings at outlook.com.au. I look forward to seeing you on the next Encounter Down Under. Hooroo! Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.